This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today on the newscast, the first bill in Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's judicial overhaul push passes as the internal divide within Israel grows. It comes as Israelis prepare to commemorate the destruction of both Jewish temples. Get all the breaking details next. Folks, Eric Stackelbeck here. Welcome to the Watchman Newscast. As the external threats against Israel grow by the day, personified by the Iranian regime and its proxies, which surround Israel on all sides, not to mention Iran's drive for nuclear weapons, the internal divide in Israel is also growing seemingly by the hour. As I come to you around 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday, July 24th, we have tens of thousands, perhaps even more than that, of protesters both for and against Benjamin Netanyahu's judicial reform plan. They've taken to the streets in cities like Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And today was kind of a watershed moment in that judicial reform push. The first bill in a planned series of bills that would reform Israel's Supreme Court passed. Now, Benjamin Netanyahu's governing coalition says, look, Israel's Supreme Court has gained far too much power. They are overwhelmingly left-wing. They are biased against the right and conservatives. They need to be reformed. Their power needs to be lessened. That's been the rationale behind the judicial overhaul push. And today, a major bill passed in that regard. It is called the Reasonableness Bill. Basically, the Israeli Supreme Court, before this bill passed today, had the power to review proposed legislation put forth by the government. And if the court felt that that legislation was unreasonable, they could block it. Now, Prime Minister Netanyahu's government said that gave the Supreme Court, which again leans left, far too much power. So they put forward this bill and they passed it today unanimously in the Knesset. Israel's opposition, led by Yair Lapid and Benny Gantz, boycotted the vote, and it is a very tumultuous time right now, folks, in the Jewish state. Again, the demonstrations continue in places like Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, and this comes amid the backdrop of Prime Minister Netanyahu having a pacemaker inserted yesterday in a surgical procedure. Remember, last week he was admitted to the hospital after experiencing shortness of breath. So again, this is a very chaotic time in Israel and as I mentioned at the top, this comes as external threats gather. The Iranian regime is already gloating about the continued protest in Israel and also the fact that thousands, or at least over 1,000, of Israel's military reserve forces and the Air Force and other branches of the military are now saying they won't report for duty because they oppose the judicial overhaul plans. Again, Iran and its allies see this and they smell weakness. They're salivating at the thought of a weakened Jewish state that they believe would be more vulnerable to attack because right now it is a house divided. The Israel Defense Forces have warned Iran and said, not so fast, we will be more than ready. 
when the time comes. But nevertheless, folks, it's never good to be so divided internally as major external existential threats are quite literally gathering at your doorstep. But that's the situation Israel finds itself in right now. And it comes as Israelis prepare to mark the darkest date on their calendar later this week. It's called the 9th of Av. It falls on July 26th and 27th this year, and it commemorates the anniversary of several major calamities that befell Israel and the Jewish people, chief among them the destruction of both Jewish temples. That's right, folks. Both the first temple, Solomon's temple, and the second temple, known as Herod's temple, where Jesus taught and chased out the money changers, they were destroyed on the exact same day, about 656 years apart. Can you believe it? It's called the 9th of Av. The same day, both temples, first temple destroyed by the Babylonians, second temple destroyed by the Romans. I thought this would be a good time to take you to Jerusalem, to the scenes of the destruction of both temples. First, we'll go to a scene where the Babylonians destroyed the first temple and essentially destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC. And then we'll take you with our good friend Zev Orenstein to the scene of some of the Roman destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple in AD 70. Again, both temples destroyed roughly 656 years apart on the same day, the 9th of Av. And big thanks here to our friends at the city of David in Jerusalem, which is the scene for both of these clips, which you're about to check out. Take a look. Well, Joe, it's hard for me to believe where we are standing right now, 2,600 years old, the remains of possibly a home during the first temple period. Tell us about it. Well, that's right. We're here on the eastern slopes of the city of David, just above the Gihon Spring, which would have been the natural water source providing water all year round for ancient Jerusalem. Because when we say city of David, we're actually talking about ancient Jerusalem. And in the excavations that the Israel Antiquities Authority has been conducting here, uh, we've exposed remains of several buildings that were destroyed in the Babylonian destruction in 586 BC. Uh, if we crouch down for a second, we can actually take a look at right behind me is one of the walls of the room and right behind you is the other wall right there. And right in between them, you can see the remains, first of all, of smashed jars. And you see all these little bits of, of black in the, yeah. in the soil. Those are actually bits of wooden pieces, possibly of wooden beams that held the roof up of this room or the floor of the room above it because there was Joe, probably another room. Yeah, now we don't know if this was a private residence or a business, not quite sure. Or... It's not really sure. We're gotcha. not sure 100%. This specific area was probably used for storage because we've had, we found here about 10 to 12 storage jars in a very, very small space. Yeah, and as you said, you can see the pottery right here. Exactly, and if you take a close look here, it's a little bit hard to see, sure. but you can see a sort of round, uh, sort of like donut-shaped yeah, feature. Right right there, well that's uh, what we call a loom weight. Uh, so a string would have been tied in the middle of the hole of the donut and it would have hung on a beam and it was used to weave clothing. And so we're getting a picture of daily life here, the moments before uh, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. Yeah, and Joe, talk about that for a second. Daily life here, 
was violently disrupted with that Babylonian invasion, a, a brutal invasion, the destruction of Jerusalem. Talk about that just a little bit if you can. Here, we're catching a snapshot of the final moments, and within those final moments, we find the vessels that they used to cook food, the things that they used to store food in, the plates that they ate from, and little things from around the home. Uh, we have some jewelry, we have uh, some actually very interesting uh, small figurines, uh, which is interesting because biblically we of course know that uh, you're not allowed to use idols, right? These were pagan, yeah, of course. But what we know of Jerusalem in the first temple period is that every home basically had one of these figurines. Uh, and so they weren't exactly keeping with the letter of the law at that time. Yeah, and then comes King Nebuchadnezzar, his hordes from Babylon. And as you said, uh, life just disrupted. People were going about their daily lives and all of a sudden the, the barbarians are at the gates quite literally in the form of the Babylonians. People probably left their belongings behind and ran for their lives. Exactly. Okay, Seth. You've already explained how hundreds of thousands of worshipers would ritually cleanse themselves back at the Pool of Siloam before going up to God's holy mountain, worshiping at the temple. But there's just one problem. They had to get there somehow. How did they get up and ascend to the temple? And that's the question that archeologists were asking back about a decade or so ago, which is now we know where the Pool of Siloam is. We know where the Temple Mount is. How did these hundreds of thousands of pilgrims who were going up to the Temple Mount and the pilgrimage festivals. How did they get there? So the archeologists widened the excavation. And what did they discover? They discover the very road that we are walking on now, the 2,000 year old pilgrimage road that would have taken our ancestors. 2,000 years ago, whether you're today Jewish or Christian, your ancestors would have walked on this road when they ascended to the temple that stood atop the Temple Mount. This is how they got there. This is how they got there. Amazing. 2,000 years ago, during the second temple period, this is how worshipers went up to the holiest place in the world, right. the Temple Mount. And this also would have been outside. There would have been shops and homes around us. The road would have been much wider right. than it is today. And it's interesting that on the one hand, we're walking up the pilgrimage road. On the other hand, as we walked up the road, there are portions of the road that are cracked. I noticed that. And archeologists were trying to understand. First I thought, well, maybe they're ancient potholes but they saw the cracks were evenly spaced as if somebody made those holes intentionally and they couldn't figure out why, why would somebody do that? So they looked to the writings of the historian Josephus and Josephus says in the year 70, Jerusalem is being destroyed. The temple is in flames. The last Jews of Jerusalem sought refuge from the Romans, where? In the drainage channel directly beneath our feet. Wow, so the last holdouts of uh, these people were uh, trying in vain, unfortunately, to hold out against the Romans who were looking to finish the job That's here right. in Jerusalem, and it was brutal. That's right, and the Romans, they find out about it, and they come with sledgehammers. They break open the road. They find the Jews hiding there. And then Josephus goes on to say that the Romans killed all 2,000 Jews they find there. They massacred them beneath where we're standing. That's right, right and archeologists find Roman sword and scabbard, presumably one that was used to kill the last 2,000 Jews of Jerusalem. That's not all they found here, Zev, uh, on the road to pilgrimage. There were some more fascinating That's right. finds. That's right. In particular, two. Two coins that tell very different stories of what happened here. The first is a Roman coin. The most minted Roman coin to commemorate a victory. 
On one side of this coin, you see the Roman Emperor Vespasian, the year 71. On the other side of the coin, it says Judea Capta, and you have a Roman legionnaire standing above a Jewish woman on her knees crying. There's another coin that was discovered here, a much more humble coin, small bronze coin, and it says on it, on one side of the coin, in the year 70. On the other side of this coin, it says an ancient Hebrew script, Lecherut Zion, for the freedom of Zion. Zion, of course, being another name for Jerusalem. But scholars have long wondered, why were the Jews minting these coins? Because the coins themselves at that time were worthless. They had no monetary value. Now, the people who minted these coins, they probably thought maybe a few decades, maybe a century. They couldn't imagine it would be nearly 2,000 years. But here we are today, 2,000 years later, standing in the city of David, standing in Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish state of Israel, standing today here when there is a free Zion, a free Jerusalem, where people of all faiths and backgrounds, Jews, Christians alike, can come here and connect with the significance of Jerusalem. Zev, God is moving. The God of Israel is moving. And I don't see a Roman flag anywhere here around the city of David, but I do see the Israeli flag, the Star of David, the people of Israel live. The Romans are probably turning in their graves. Folks, again, it is never good to be so internally divided when external threats are gathering. Look no further than the Second Temple. There was literally a Jewish civil war atop the Temple Mount as the Romans were attacking. So, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now more than ever, we are mandated to do so by Scripture, by God Almighty. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Absolutely a tumultuous time in Israel right now when Israelis really need to be united against external forces that seek to wipe the world's one and only Jewish state off the map. Folks, we'll have breaking updates for you as things develop on the ground in Israel. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Until next time, God bless you. And remember, never hold your peace.